Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special edition of the ICS Pulse podcast. Why special, you ask? That's because October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So we're doing a new series of podcasts just for this month, bringing back some of our favorite guests from the first year of our podcast. Yes, we have hit a year. Uh, If you're familiar with the Vanity Fair Proust questionnaire, it's a little bit like that. We're going to be asking five quick questions on cybersecurity to each guest. Same set of questions. Uh, Unlike Proust, we're going to be asking questions about cybersecurity. Vanity Fair very seldom asks questions about cybersecurity. Uh, We will be dropping two or three of these podcasts every week. So watch out for the next episodes. If you are not already, if you don't have them on your calendar, you're not already listening to them the second they drop, make sure you are. They will be coming fast and furious. Uh, Let's go ahead and jump right into this one. I am your host, Gary Cohen. My co-host, Tyler Wall, is uh, is off for the day. Today, we are bringing back our good friend, Leslie Carhart of Dragos. Leslie Carhart is the Director of ICS Cybersecurity Incident Response at Dragos, leading response to and proactively hunting for threats in customers' ICS environments. Uh, Retired from the U.S. Air Force Reserves, an in-demand speaker, a dedicated teacher, just an all-around Renaissance person. Leslie, thanks so much for joining us again. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Always happy to talk to you. All right, let's go ahead and jump right into this. Cybersecurity Awareness Month, we always highlight a few key behaviors, important behaviors, things like multi-factor authentication, passwords. What do you think people should be focusing on this month? I'm afraid it's the basics for me too. Um, Those things that you just named, like multi-factor, enabling good multi-factor, not reusing passwords, using a password manager, doing updates to computer systems for the average person, raise the barrier of entry for most criminals out there in a significant way that makes them look for another target. I understand that what we as security professionals say is a lightweight thing, like getting a password manager or a YubiKey to do authentication instead of just reusing a password all over the place is actually very challenging. That's a lift, it takes time out of your day And it can be technically challenging, especially if there's things like vision impairment to do. So we understand there's challenges, but do understand that those things, if you can make the time and find the assistance to do those things in your daily life, like get a password manager, use multi-factor authentication, especially strong multi-factor authentication, like an authentication app or a YubiKey will make the, what I say to people is make the bad guys' lives harder. Make their lives harder so they target somebody else. It's just like your home. It's just like your house. If you just close your door, it might deter people who accidentally were going to walk into it from walking in. You put a deadbolt on, it slows some people down and they go to the next house. But if they really are motivated, they're going to break a window, right? So you install a security system, like an, an alarm system. And uh, that deters a lot of people seeing that sign out in your yard saying you've got an alarm system and somebody will respond, they might move to the next house. And then, you know, you can keep increasing that security in a way that it deters more and more crime. A really dedicated person will always find a way to get in with enough time and resources. But it's the same with your digital security. Doing those steps like doing multi-factor, getting a password manager, updating your systems and making sure that they're current on security patches are a level of deterrence that can cause the bad people out there, the cyber criminals to choose another target. And that's a big deal. So make their lives hard. And it might seem simple, but I mean, how many of the major headline grabbing cyber attacks in the last few years have been because of shared passwords or nobody went off the default passwords, simple things that should have been done? 
Look, I do this for a living. I do incident response for a living. And we almost have in jukes in our community now of when we see a person, a company release a press release that says there was a major cyber attack, it's disrupted operations, and it doesn't say what it was. It doesn't say a specific thing that they tried to do, like steal a bunch of stuff or tamper with a specific system. We just automatically jump to the conclusion it was ransomware. And the adversaries got in using one of those simpler methods because we see those cases again and again and again for individuals, for consumers, and also for companies from small companies to big companies. Again, one of the rules I tell my students is hackers are lazy, just like everybody else. Path of least resistance. They will choose the easiest targets to make the most money as fast as possible because for the most part, they're in it for the money. Again, they're going to choose the easiest targets and they're going to be deterred from the ones that are harder targets. But what we do see repeatedly is simple things getting abused to compromise both consumers and companies. And then a lot of it is ransomware because that's a very effective way to make money. Right. Uh, what trends or developments in cybersecurity are you particularly excited about heading into the future, heading into the new year? I really like some of the programs for improving our pipeline of new talent into the field. I'm really excited about that. It's something I've been passionate about for my whole career because it was so challenging for me to get into the field. I'm seeing a lot more scholarships. I'm seeing a lot more hiring clinics. I'm seeing a lot more companies develop pipelines for non-traditional talent. A lot of companies had pipelines to train talent before, but the only ones that were really getting non-traditional background were the military branches. Now we are starting to see organizations like the big training and certification firms and also large companies that have pipelines for new and junior talent trying to find talent in different places than just people who have university degrees. Because unfortunately, a lot of people who are getting those degrees, they all look the same. They're all from the same background, especially financial background. And there's a lot of people out there who will be great at cybersecurity and can't afford to go into debt forever in college loans. Um, and maybe they can't join the military. So we never see them in this field. And we need more talented people who are willing to learn and willing to grow and not just, you know, maybe get a degree because it sounds good and they have the money. So um, I really am excited to see a lot of those organizations trying to find new and creative and ambitious ways to recruit talent from people who didn't necessarily come from the military or from a prestigious college. I think that's really, really cool. Love that answer. Uh, I feel a little greedy asking you this next question because you already gave us a great story about uh, a monitor and some bugs that were activating the monitor. Uh, but can you share a memorable experience or a case from your career that really highlighted for you the importance of cybersecurity? Hmm. I see a lot of cases and I'm not allowed to talk about a lot of them because they're under non-disclosure agreement. Sure. But what I will tell you is that I see a lot of the same problems again and again, stories that will never make the news. And some of the saddest cases that I see are the organizations that don't prepare for incident response in advance. They don't, they never want to believe, just like when we're young, we think we're invincible. Organizations never want to believe that they're going to have a cybersecurity incident. 
So the saddest cases for me and some of the most emotionally impactful ones are the ones where organizations that never planned for cybersecurity or to have a cybersecurity incident because they thought they were not going to be a target. They weren't big enough. They weren't important enough. They weren't in the right vertical. They have an incident and they have no plan. And what that means is they scramble and it becomes a very expensive, very panicked scramble. Um, and what I've seen happen in a few cases that really, really hit me in the, in the gut was they Google for help. They start Googling down the list of who can help me. And they start calling the large, incredible cybersecurity firms for assistance. And everybody's backlogged. There's tons of cases, especially ransomware cases right now. So if you don't have a retainer in advance with an incident response firm and you can't do it internally, you're going to wait, typically. Um, you're going to wait for help. And when you get that help, when they finally have people, it's going to be at a much higher hourly rate. Now, the unfortunate thing is... When you were doing that Google dance, you know that everybody knows that people who shouldn't be able to advertise on Google do, and they'd sell things they shouldn't be selling. People know that you want to buy incident response services. I mean, they know you're in a crisis and there are unfortunately groups of people out there who will take advantage of that. If you Google first to buy something on Google, you will find somebody willing to sell you that. It might not be quality, it might not be legitimate, and what I've seen happen is they do that Google dance and they keep calling down the list on Google until they reach somebody who says, oh yeah, sure, we can fix your cybersecurity problem. And so they're like, yeah, yeah, how much money do you want? And it's, you know, $600, $700 an hour. And they really don't know how to do incident response in their environment. And in my case, it's particularly industrial environments. And they either damage the environment or they just make up a conclusion about the source of the breach and they write a report and they take a bunch of money away. And it's incredibly unscrupulous. Um, but there's, again, there's always going to be somebody who's willing to sell you anything you want on the internet. And what happens in a lot of those cases is they realize that they got a bad product and they have another breach or something. And they call somebody like me in or my colleagues, my peers at other organizations that are credible and reputable. And we have to redo the whole effort. And at that point, the forensic evidence has been stomped on. They've already paid for an entire incident response effort at hundreds and hundreds of dollars an hour. And they're out a massive amount of money. They're out time, evidence has been destroyed. And we're trying to redo all of the work to try to figure out what happened and prevent it from happening again. And that's even more operational time when they're down. So it's just, it makes, it drives me crazy. I'm a, I'm a pretty ethical person and that, that organizations will lie and say they can do incident response in a process environment or do incident response at all. And they'll make a, they'll produce a shoddy product. Um, just because they know people are desperate and they're in a crisis that kills me. That makes me really mad. Um, but those people can have the same certifications. They can definitely get the pieces of paper and they can look really credible on their email signatures. Um, it's why it's so, so important. And I'm not trying to sell something here, but like, it's so important if you work for an organization, have a plan for what you're going to do if you have a cybersecurity incident. Because I gave you an example earlier that, you know, it's like protecting your house. If there's somebody who's motivated enough or you just have a bad day or you get unlucky, Anybody can be the victim of a cybersecurity breach or incident or malware infection, ransomware infection. It can happen to anybody. It can happen to you. You can be a target for a multitude of reasons, even if you think you aren't. You need to have a plan of who you're going to call and what you're going to do in an emergency. It's like 
being an ER doctor. It's like being a firefighter. You need to have a plan and drill in in advance. And that includes knowing who's going to do the incident response in your environment. Have an internal team or have a retainer with an incident response firm. They're not that expensive and you get incident response at a much lower rate typically. So have a plan because there's people get, that are going to take advantage of you if you don't. And it's going to cost you a lot of time and money and stress. One of the people that we talk to pretty regularly does cyber simulation training. And I remember it stuck with me because I thought it was such a good phrase. I was asking her about companies she talks to, and especially in this field, what did you find? Are they totally not ready? And she said, you know, actually, I was very impressed with their lack of overconfidence. <laughs> I thought that's perfect is don't assume you know everything. Don't assume that you're never going to get hit because you're the CEO or you're Google or whatever is be humble enough to go. Yeah, it, it can happen to all of us and can and will at some point. We're desperately trying to remove that stigma. There's a lot of problems with the stigma around cybersecurity incidents. First of all, you know, we don't know what's going on if nobody says anything. Like we have some visibility to our customers and what's happening in our customer base, but it's different from our, our peers and our competitors' visibility because nobody's talking about what happens with them because they're embarrassed, especially mm -hmm. in the industrial space. We have like ISACs for sharing intelligence. There's there's industry and vertical sharing groups where people are supposed to be sharing those things in private with their peers and their vertical but it's not enough. People are still embarrassed to admit things or there's legal liability potentially. And it's really bad because nobody's getting a clear picture. Nobody's getting the intelligence in advance that they might be a target of the same things. It's um, it's a bad situation. And we're trying to fix that by making it more normal to understand that anybody can be a victim of these things. You should do the basic cybersecurity things. It's possible to make mistakes. Anybody can make mistakes. We try to do our best to build good defense and depth so it's not as big of a deal, but it can happen to anybody and we should be talking about those things. I, I'm excited to hear your answer to this next question. So there've been a lot of cyber attacks lately, uh, headline grabbing ones from SolarWinds to, to others, but a lot of these attacks have been on OTICS systems, whether that was JBS or Nissan Renault or Molson Coors or the city of Atlanta, what have we learned, do you think, from these recent this recent slate of major attacks that have that have made headlines? It's more of the same. Mm. There's been a lot more supply chain attacks, and people have blind spots to their vendors and suppliers. But it really does come down to doing the fundamentals, doing the basics. It can be just as challenging for a really big company to secure their industrial environments as it is for a really small company. Um, big environments, when you have 100, 200, 300, 500 facilities to secure, can be incredibly challenging because OT space is somewhat discreet from enterprise space. You can have a very well-secured enterprise business where everything is uniform and you have the same image on all of your clients and you're dealing with Windows and they all have agents on them. They all have XDR, EDR, WhizBing, next generation cybersecurity tools. But you go into those OT environments and it's a new space. Um, it's usually not in the same domain. Somebody else might've been doing the IT, different security tooling, if there's any security tooling at all. Maybe there's no logging out of it. Maybe nobody knows how to monitor it and respond to things. So everybody's starting to build those capabilities slowly, but if you have a very large environment, building those capabilities across 500 discrete, very different facilities can be incredibly challenging which makes it more plausible that one of those environments will be compromised and potentially used to compromise everything else. 
And if you're small and under-resourced, trying to do cybersecurity for two environments, your enterprise and your OT, that's incredibly resource intensive and challenging too, because you only are staffed to do your enterprise cybersecurity and that's a big task alone. So regardless of the size of your organization, moving into the OT cybersecurity response and monitoring and security space, very, very challenging move. It's something that people are more aware of that they need to do right now, but it's tough and it takes resources and it takes time. Building an incident response plan takes time. Understanding your architecture and your asset inventory in an environment takes time. And those are big projects that take time and money away from other things. So, so yeah, we've, we've seen a lot of these organizations start being more of a target for criminals because they know that. They've learned. They operate on a budget, too. They have small margins, too. Um, and they're out there, again, to make money. So they understand the environments where they're more likely to be able to get in because there's less security. And it's a, probably going to create enough of a disruption and impact, not necessarily to the low-level process device, but to the people doing their jobs, that they will have to pay out a ransom potentially. So more of a target, continuing problems with resourcing and building security out in those environments increasing disparity in the level of vulnerability in those environments versus IT and enterprise environments with newfangled Windows 11 security and modern security products. So they're a really big, a really big target and securing them is challenging. What emerging technologies do you see impacting the field of cybersecurity in the near future? In general, outside of OT, I'm really impressed with what the operating system developers like Microsoft are doing with their consumer operating systems. The changes in Windows 11 are a big deal. Even in Windows 10, there's many ways to much more firmly lock down your operating system and much more integrated support for things like backing up files so they're potentially not destroyed if they're ransomed. So there's a lot of thought going on the side of people who produce con consumer operating systems and technologies about cybersecurity. We see more promotion of using things like password managers, though not all of them are created equal. We see more integrated support for multi-factor authentication, which is wonderful, and more promotion of using things like authenticator apps instead of just text messages, which is phenomenal. We're seeing more support for tokens like YubiKeys, uh, which is fabulous too. So there really has been a lot of progression in the consumer client space, which I think is fantastic. Of course, there's verticals and parts of the space that need to catch up. Um, financial industry is one for sure. Um, but for the most part, things in the client space are headed the right direction. And I think that's really fantastic. Right, I'm going to preface this last question by saying I have high expectations for you because we had a long conversation about pop culture at RSA. What is your favorite movie or TV show that has something to do with cybersecurity? So my favorite, my favorite, just because it's fun, is Leverage. I love Leverage, even though a lot of its cybersecurity stuff is very, very silly. Some of its physical pen testing stuff is a blast. Um, to talk about the most realistic one, I'd say, of course, Mr. Robot. That's the ubiquitous answer. I don't really even enjoy it because it's too realistic and it's stressful for me because I, I do know people who have been through a lot of the same challenges as the main character with 
you know, with uh, mental health issues and substance abuse and things like that. So um, challenging watch for me, but very, very realistic technology. But actually, my my friends and I have for the past several years been going around the Midwest to various geekdom conventions and doing a hacking and fiction panel where we watch everything in the last year that has hacking in it, terrible and good. And then we talk to the audience about what we liked and what we didn't like. So we watch everything. Um, if you want some good shout outs from the last year, a really good movie was Resurrected. It's a like a found footage film and uh, the hacking scenes are, you know, they're, they're so realistic that it's goofy and you giggle because they're they're doing messy ugly hacking things that people really do um like use team viewer to get into systems and it i just it's not the best movie in the world otherwise but the hacking scenes are a lot of fun and uh, 20 hacker from 2021 is also really really fun in terms of their their hacking scenes that that was another one in the last couple of years that was worth watching but yeah, we watch all of them. We watch all of them. And then we sit there and we talk about which ones were awful and which ones were good. What is one of the most ridiculous ones you've seen? Man. I know I it's think, a long list. Yeah, it's a long list. It's mostly the the crime shows on TV, like the syndicated crime shows on TV, because we actually found out as we were producing that panel that the people who develop those scenes kind of compete with each other. They kind of a bet going to see the, who can create the most ridiculous scenes and get them to air, um, which is once you know, it's kind of funny. Like once you know the yeah. the inside baseball on that, it's kind of amusing. But yeah. Just like everything else, it's usually the the crime shows on on mainstream TV networks. Leslie, you're fantastic as always. We love having you on. Thank you so much for agreeing to join us again. An absolute pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. We're going to make you a regular guest. You're just going to have to co-host with Tyler and I from here on out. <laughs> uh, and make sure you are tuning in all month to Industrial Cybersecurity Pulse. We'll be releasing more episodes from this Cybersecurity Awareness Month series. Uh, also, don't forget to use the hashtag BeCybersmart. That is hashtag BeCybersmart on social media for this month. And we've got all kinds of Awareness Month content that we're going to be dropping on the site. So if you are not already checking the site every day, and frankly, what is your excuse? Please check out ICS Pulse this month to find all of our great Cybersecurity Awareness Month content. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, stay safe out there. Mm -hmm.